Hello, and welcome to another episode of Extra Innings, a Phillies podcast from the Philadelphia Inquirer. I'm Matt Breen here in Clearwater, Florida. I have Scott Lauber on the phone, and this week it's just going to be Scott and I. As Bob Brookover has the week off, he's going to join the podcast again next week, so it's just a one-week hiatus. Don't get too sad. Bob's gone his way back. And, and this week on the podcast, of course, we're going to talk about Bryce Harper. If you're coming to a podcast hoping not to hear about Bryce Harper, this is probably the wrong podcast. We'll be straight up with you on that. But it's not going to be all Bryce Harper. We're going to get into some other hot topics about the team. How's Vince Velasquez doing? How's the rest of the rotation look? And how's the roster shaping up? And we gathered these kind of questions for off Twitter, asked people what do they want to talk about. And I think we, we got enough of a pulse of what Phillies fans really wanted to listen to on this episode. But before we get into the episode, if you haven't subscribed already, please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. And when you're there, leave a rating, leave a review, let us know how we're doing. Any feedback's appreciated. Even a five-star rating is very much appreciated. It would be nice to do a, a podcast that doesn't have to talk about Bryce Harper, but I don't think we'll be able to do that any time in the next 13 years. So before we get to the mailbag, we'll talk two subjects about Bryce Harper. Scott, uh, one thing that stood out, obviously, with, with this weekend was he faced a four outfield shift on Sunday. On his first at-bat with the Phillies, he looks out to the outfield, and the third baseman is standing in left field. Everybody else was shifted over. Even the inf- the shortstop, usually on these Jurassic shifts, you've seen them, the, the shortstop standing above the second base bag. He was even standing like almost where the second baseman normally would shift. So it was all across the board a drastic shift. These things, the four outfield shifts were pretty rare last year, but you remember there was a time when infield shifts were rare. So there's no telling that this one day could become not the norm, but fairly normal. How much do you, do you think he will see this? Not necessarily at all, because I think it will definitely happen this year, but how often do you think Bryce Harper will see this kind of defense? Yeah, Matt, you wrote a really good piece about this the other day off of off of his first game, and I, it got me thinking about the evolution of shifts, right? Like, we think about infield shifts, and we think about moving, like you said, moving the, the uh, usually the shortstop over to the uh, second base side of the bag, and it's kind of, you know, you have four infielders on that side of the field, and sometimes maybe he's playing short right field or, or something like that, but it was only a matter of time before shifting evolved into something like what we just saw with with Harper. And I do I think it's going to be something he's going to see. I don't know how often he's going to see it, but, you know, it's a copycat league. One team does it, and I think other teams see it, and they go, that's a great idea. We should try that. I, I don't know if this is going to be something he sees over the course of, of many, many years, because I happen to think that at some point these shifts are going to be um, – uh, they're going to be negated. I mean, I, I think that at some point there's going to be a rule against doing this type of thing. We've, we've already heard it mentioned with the infield shifts, like they're going to outlaw shifts completely. Um, but until they do that, and until um, until the league decides to, to do away with them completely, I, I think you're going to see teams looking for additional edges wherever they can get them. And if that means moving the fourth guy out in the outfield, um, you know, that's that's what they'll do. I remember when, you know, look, Ryan Howard used to face these infield shifts. David Ortiz faced these infield shifts. Um, you know, I think it goes all the way back to when Ted Williams played, but but he was the only one that, that had to deal with it. And then over time, you know, as we got into the into the modern era, the analytics era, 
uh, it's more and more left-handed hitters. Carlos Santana faced a shift a lot last year. I was looking back at numbers of guys, you know, the, the numbers of guys who dealt with the shift most often, and Santana was really was way up there. And it does it. It they do it for teams do it for a reason, and and it works. Um, and so I think teams are going to continue to tinker with this stuff. And you know, I, I hate to break it to Bryce Harper, but he's probably going to have to deal with more of these innovative shifts before shifts are done away with completely. I think Ted, Ted Williams facing the shift sure sounds like a Frank Fitzpatrick Sunday calm. So Frank, if you're listening, feel free to steal it. That could be your next Frank's place. And one, one more thing about the shift is how do you beat the shift? I, I remember I, I could have sworn this happened in 2003 at the vet. I remember sitting in the 700 level and the Red Sox on a Sunday game, it's still vivid that they shifted Jim Tomey all the way to the right side, and he tried to actually bunt against the shift down the third base line, but but it went fail, and that was like how everybody want what you wanted him to do. You wanted him to, you know, go go against the shift and beat him. But you know, I, I was I think twelve years old at the time, so I'm gonna forgive myself for thinking that way because if that's the way you want to beat the shift with your power hitter, that's totally wrong. If Bryce Harper is gonna try to hit to you know a single to third base let Cesar Hernandez be a slap hitter you didn't pay 330 million dollars for Cesar Hernandez to be your right fielder so I think you you that you would have to say that the best way to beat the shift is is almost to do nothing about it exactly like you're I'm sure your memory is spot on because I'm sure it was tried and I remember we talked about this with David Ortiz a lot over the years like hey dude why don't you just try to like you know slap one down the third baseline, the first time you do that and you succeed, they're going to stop shifting or they're going to at least think twice about it. And I remember him actually saying that at one point. Like, number one, like, you think it's easy for me to just lay down a bunt. Like, I never bunt. I've never bunted in my life. Like, if you think I could do that against a guy throwing, you know, 95 or more, you're crazy. Number two, if I do do it and I succeed at it, they've already won because that's what they want me to do. Like, They'll take a single from David Ortiz, just like they'll take a walk. They just don't want him to hit the ball out of the ballpark. And so if he's not driving the ball the way he can and the way he should, then they've already won. And I'm sure that that's what Harper's thinking, too, is, sure, I could think about going going that way with it, and, and maybe I succeed and maybe I don't, but that's what they want me to do. And I'm here to drive and runs. I'm here to, you know, to hit the ball out of the ballpark and – you know, if I'm if I'm trying to go the other way, trying to beat the shift, just for the heck of beating the shift, then 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 they've already succeeded in what they're trying to do. Exactly. And if say the Braves, just for example, if they shift on opening day and Harper taps a single, it's only going to make the other team shift even more because, like you said, that that's allowed them to win. And and we're going to stick with defense here, but now Bryce Harper's defense. He played Monday for the first time in the field in right field. Played four innings, had two balls hit to him. Can't judge his defense based on today. Besides, he is able to stand up right. He can throw the ball and he can catch the ball. So he he can do he can do the basics. I don't know what else he can do. We'll find out eventually. But Scott, where do you and we and again to be completely honest, we watch the Phillies every day. We didn't watch Bryce Harper every day last season and the years before, but. As, to the best that you can, you know, decipher people you've talked to and metrics, where, where do you see Bryce Harper's defense? I, I I don't feel like I'm qualified 
yet even to to go that way because like you said we see him you know we see him 18 times a year and you know it's not a real big sample size um to make that judgment and one thing i'll say i don't know how you feel about this i don't really trust defensive metrics at least not yet i mean i see him and and i look at him and i try to decipher them and make sense of them and put them into context uh but more often than not, they either support what I see with my eyes or they make me um, they make me wonder how accurate they are. And, you know, I go back to the 2008 World Series and and talking to Pat Gillick a day or two before that series, I was working on a story about the, you know, sort of old school GM in Pat Gillick and the new school guy in Andrew Friedman, who was with the Rays then. And we were talking about defensive metrics. I think the hot defensive metric back then was like UZR or something like that. They hadn't even invented defensive run saved yet, I don't think. And I mentioned to him that Aaron Rowan had the best UZR or something like that of, of, of all center fielders the year before in 07. And Pat Gillick said to me, I, I don't need some metric to tell me Aaron Rowan's a good outfielder. Like, I can see it with my own eyes. And so I don't really, I guess my long-winded way of saying I don't really know. I thought it was really interesting, and I'm curious to hear what what you thought of this, the quote that, that you had today from, from Harper about um, kind of blaming, maybe blaming his, his uh, how, how poorly he did, according to the metrics, on the fact that he played center field last year and that he's really not a center fielder. He probably doesn't feel as comfortable out there as he does in right field and that the, the time he spent in center field, he feels like dragged down his, his, his numbers. It seemed like he really kind of harped on that a little bit. Yeah, that even um, he was given the out. Well, Scott Boris said your defensive numbers might have been dragged down by your knee injury that you suffered two seasons ago, and you know then maybe that the healing process took too long or whatever it slowed you down, and that that made you a bad defensive metric fielder. But he said no, it's because of the sixty-five games I played in center field last year, and he, he doubled down on it. And I, I think he has a point because, like you said, he's more comfortable in right field. Not only was he graded poorly in center field but then that that fatigue and and that you you came out of your comfort zone so when you go back to right field you've played in center field you know you're not comfortable and really anywhere so it's only going to make you a worse right fielder in his mind and the one last thing to add about his defense is the Phillies didn't pay like they didn't pay him 330 million dollars to be a slap hitter they also didn't pay 330 million dollars for him to be a goal glove right fielder so I, it's almost like it's a little overblown, especially when you remember who he's replacing in right field. It's not Jim Edmonds. It's not a gold glove right fielder, a gold glove outfielder. It's not, you know, it's, it's it was Nick Williams who graded almost just as poorly as Bryce Harper did last year. So it, it, he's not, he's not going to be an amazing fielder, but I don't think he's going to be a liability that we're talking in June like, wow, this, you know, this, this is a really big concern. Yeah, it's a great point, and I think Bob said this on on the podcast last week that, you know, he never really uh, thought of Harper as a butcher out there in right field, and you know, my my Harper, um, my, my watching him kind of is is limited to last year and a little bit um, prior to that, but watching mostly American League uh, baseball, I saw less of him than you did um, the last few years prior to last year, but I I never got that impression either, like he was a real liability out there or that. And even watching him last year, I never felt like, oh, God. Like, you know, no offense to Reese Hoskins, but you watched him in left field last year, and you were like, that guy's not a good outfielder. 
there were times that I felt that way about Nick Williams. This guy's just not a good outfielder or not, you know, just doesn't look like he's, you know, you could tell that there was, there are far better outfielders than he was. And I never really looked at Harper and went, oh my God, this guy's going to be an adventure for this guy out there. So, you know, he's probably an upgrade over what they had out there. And I just, you know, like I said, I mean, the eye test for me was never, you know, I, we weren't going to award him any gold gloves, but we also—I also never felt like this guy was just a total circus act out there, like you see with some outfielders. I uh, t- totally agree. So we we talk about two topics of Bryce Harper here, and like we said, we're going to get to the mailbag. We opened it up on Twitter. Probably should have done it. Maybe next time we'll we'll do it. You know, a day in advance, not just a couple hours in advance. But we did get enough questions. I'm going to open up the mailbag here for question one. How awesome would it be to have Marcus Hayes on? All right, that's not a real question. It's a question too. How many times have you been to Frenchies? Not a real question. Who's more athletic, you or your dad? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Who's more, I'm going to say my dad. I'm just going to throw him a bone. I don't even know who asked that question, but somebody actually did. Now we got to the real stuff. All right. Vince Velasquez, he pitched again today. He pitched um, a couple days ago against the Blue Jays, and it was almost the same thing today. Just did not was not impressive. He struggled. It, it, but – as poor as he's been, I'm still pretty confident that he's the fifth starter come opening day, and that's what this person asked. That any other options for the fifth starter? A lot, I think it's Vince Velasquez. A lot of other people are asking about Dallas Keuchel. From conversations I had today at the ballpark, I would be absolutely shocked, just like I would have been before, that if the that the Phillies are going to sign Dallas Keuchel. I think they're going to save the money that they have right now, and they're going to use that at the trade deadline, to, if it's to add to add a starting pitcher if they have to. I, I don't think they're going to upgrade. They don't see Dallas Keuchel as a definitive upgrade over the three pitchers they have, and I think Vince Velasquez is safe. Scott, Vince Velasquez, what do you what do you make of Vince Velasquez at this point? A lot of Vince Velasquez angst right now on my Twitter feed since we asked people for, for, um, for questions. Um, I would... I would temper that angst by saying, and, and you were there today to see him pitch and talk to him afterwards. I wasn't, but um, I would temper that with this, that, you know, spring training results, aside from not mattering, um, you know, positive or negative, they just, they don't matter, but also can be misleading because a lot of times you'll talk to a pitcher afterwards and they're working on something or they're, you know, they're, they're trying to build their arm strength. And so they're bringing, different pitches along at different stages of spring training. And most of the time, even now, um, two and a half weeks out from opening day, most pitchers are still not going out there with their full repertoire or um, they're not going out there with the same plan that they would normally have. And I don't know if in talking to Vince today after his start, you got any kind of a sense for whether he's working on something or trying something out, but I just, you know, for the same reason that I didn't get too wrapped up in Jake Arrieta going nine up, nine down against the Twins um, the other day in Fort Myers, I just, I don't, I don't really, I don't really get too crazy about it. And I'll also echo everything you just said about Dallas Keuchel. I, I talked to somebody last Thursday, pretty high up in the Phillies organization, about Keuchel and Craig Kimbrell, and the sense I, I got was, you know, look, if either of those guys winds up falling into their lap on a one-year deal, maybe for low, lower money than was expected. Well, sure. I mean, why not? They'll, they'll take a, 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 a chance at that point 
Um, but if they get the kind of deals that they either were setting out to get or if they get multi-year, and I think at this point both of them are still targeting multi-year deals, the Phillies are not interested. And uh, I think you're right. I think they want to re- remain flexible for the deadline and they want to um, – leave their options open. They don't want to get in the Dallas Keuchel business for more than a year. So I guess theoretically it's possible if, like I said, if the market for either of those guys just completely falls out. But, you know, I would, I would, I would not bet. I would bet against it at this point uh, and thinking that they go into the season with what they have. We, we got another question that almost has to do with Vince Velasquez, but it was how concerned are you with the back end of the rotation? I just think that's like, it's almost unfair to to just, you know, talk about the back end of the rotation as a group because I don't think all three of those guys are equal. I think Zach Eflin is is not a known commodity, but I, I feel safer about Zach Eflin than I do about Nick Pavetta and Vince Velasquez. But I also feel that Nick Pavetta has a higher ceiling than those two other pitchers. And, you know, I think he's shown a promise in spring training with his changeup that if, you know, if he has a changeup, I think he can blossom into what everyone has written this off season about him being a breakthrough candidate. And then Vince Velasquez in my mind is, has the shortest leash out of these three guys. So it's just, I feel like we talk about a lot as like two separate groups that you have Arietta and Nola, and then you have the back end, but, but I don't think the back end is, is just, is, is really like a, a good label for those three guys and how do you how do you size up those three guys and and who who on your mind do you think has the shortest leash come the end of april um i think it's that's a really good point you know i think we do tend to lump the three of them into their own group because they're both uh because all three of them are relatively young still in their mid-20s and inexperienced enough that there's um a sense that they'll all get better and they're not all going to get better. Like I'm here to say right now that, you know, if, if, if one or two take a step forward, then one is going to take a step back. It's just, it's just how it goes. Um, these things are not linear. Um, I, I think, you know, Pavetta, my, my sense at least is that Pavetta probably has the highest ceiling of the three just based on pure ability. Um, the fact that he has added the pitch, um, this year and in talking to him about it and hearing him talk about it the other day, um, you know, it sounds like it could be a difference maker. Um, but, you know, I, I think, I think, I think you're right. I think Velasquez probably has the shortest leash because I think that he probably is the easiest one to just transition into a bullpen role. If, if you wanted to go that way, I mean, we've been talking about it for years with Velasquez, um, you know, does he profile better out of the bullpen? Would it be better in a short spurt of short burst than trying to get um, than trying to get five or six innings out of him every five days? So, you know, from that standpoint, you know, you they might be a little bit more inclined to pull him out and put him in the bullpen. I just look at his body of work from last year, and you know, through the middle of the season, I mean, Vince Velasquez was really good, um, and probably had a longer stretch of consistent quality starts than the other two did. I, You know, Eflin had that great June, and we were, you know, to think now that we were talking about him having an outside shot at making the All-Star team at one point in June, like, that's how good he was, but it was really like one month or, or five weeks where, you know, every turn through the rotation, Zach Eflin was, was pretty awesome. Um, and then after that, it kind of, 
kind of came apart. Pavetta had flashes, you know, two or three starts here or there, and they were really spread throughout the season. But Velasquez, the body of work through the middle of the year, was really impressive. And so I think of that, and I, and I think, like, what do you need to do to get that out of the guy for more of the year, an even bigger chunk of the year? Because I, I think they saw it now for, for enough. So you know it's in there. It's just a matter of, of bringing it out. That's what almost makes me not think they should go get Dallas Keuchel is because, like you said, you just gave three – just from last season, you're not even going back, you know, two or three years. You're going back to last summer that all three of these guys showed a little bit of extended chance of, of shining, and I think you would almost – you would give up on that if you went and got Dallas Keuchel for even a one-year deal. I think you should ride it till the trade deadline and then – you, there's going to be a start there every year. There's a starting pitcher on the market, and just jump on it if you have to in June or July. I've been somebody who said throughout most of the off season that I feel like they're a pitcher short, and I still feel that way. You know, if we're going to talk about the back of the rotation and those three guys, I still feel that way. That that on a one year deal, Dallas Keuchel could could help a team that has visions of contending this year and winning its division this year and and elevate that team. I wouldn't. I. I don't blame the Phillies or anyone else for wanting to keep it to a one-year commitment. But you know, I, I just like I said, development's not always linear, and so the hard part is deciding which of the three is going to be the one who doesn't maybe take that step forward and and figure, okay, that's the one I'm going to replace. But and I and you know, look, that's their job, right, <laughs> to figure out like how these guys are going to are going to grow from one year to the next. But, um, you know, I just sort of – there's there's enough of a question with each of them. There's promise with each of them. And then there's enough of a question mark with each of them that, you know, look, if the Phillies were where they were at, at this point last year, you say, sure, ride it out with the three kids, and, and hopefully all three of them continue to move forward and take steps. But they're not there anymore. They're a team that's got visions of 90-plus wins and a division title. And do they, do they have the starting pitching to uh, – to, to do that and I think that's still a fair question to ask I think you're starting to convince me that they should go sign Dallas Keuchel tomorrow so if that, that if that was your point good job you wrote um yesterday or uh, I think Monday morning about the pr- predicting what the 25-man roster would be somebody asked us who owns the bench jobs come opening day so I'll let you you know answer that so full health if you know, if Odubel Herrera, Roman Quinn, Cesar Hernandez, if they're all ready for opening day, your bench is Kingery, Quinn, Nick Williams, I think, and backup catcher, which would be Andrew Knapp, right? Am I leaving anyone out? No, that, that's how I would say it, too. So now put Roman Quinn on the IL, which I, I think is almost a given that he's going to start it there. Yeah, I agree. Um, well, then I think Aaron Altair probably uh, – has a spot and I would even I would even suggest that if they had full health if everyone was healthy Quinn I mean uh, Altair versus Williams is an interesting one because Altair's out of options and you know so that means he can't go to the minors without being exposed to waivers and in the interest of maintaining your depth you could send Nick Williams to AAA have him play every day and even make the claim that that's the best thing for Nick Williams play every day, get regular at-bats, and preserve your depth by having Altair, who is 
a good defense, really good defensive outfielder kind of coming off the bench. Um, the difference, of course, is that Williams is a left-handed hitter. Altair is a right-handed hitter. It's a very right-handed lineup. Williams is a better fit, uh, given the side of the plate he hits with. But long story, I mean, long-winded answer is if Quinn, if Quinn is on the IL, which still sounds so strange to say IL, um, injured list, then, then Altair has got to, probably got to make the team. I think Dylan Cousins gives them something to think about because he's having a good spring. But again, in the interest of, of maintaining your depth, you keep Altair and then you make a decision when Quinn is ready. Um, you know, you make a decision on Altair and maybe at that point you, you decide if you try to sneak him through and he gets claimed, so be it. Um, you know, but, uh, that's probably the way it goes, I would think. I may have been swayed, swayed on Dallas Keuchel, but I'm not being swayed on Nick Williams going to AAA to start the season. Uh, <laughs> could you imagine if he if he lost his starting job to right field, to Bryce Harper in right field, and then because of that he was starting the year in Lehigh Valley? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah I don't think so. I, I'd feel bad for the guy. And then the last thing we had, we, we ended this last week on – over under, I think it was eighty eight and a half was the over under that um I'm gonna say Vegas, but it was actually from Park, so that Ben Salem set on the um on the Phillies win total this year. Someone else asked us it's a similar question, but it has a little bit of a more um it can we can give a more expanded response. Real realistic expectations for the season. What would deem it a success versus what would deem it a failure? And when I read this first I said, Well, realistic expectations is a NLE's title and obviously if that's your expectations and I think a successful season is deemed if this team makes the postseason no matter how they get in wild card division title they they just have to reach the playoffs this year and a failure my initial gut reaction was well it's hard to say it's a failure if you don't make the playoffs because you don't know what's going to happen this season maybe some circumstances out of your control that forces them not to make the playoffs but but I think it's it is cut and dry. I think it's a success to make the playoffs, and you spend all this money on not just Bryce Harper, but all these other acquisitions this winter. It's a failure if this team doesn't make the playoffs. I don't think that's like a hot take or anything crazy. I think it's pretty cut and dry. This is like the two thousand go back to the two thousand six Phillies, a team you were around. I think that season was not a success because they missed the playoffs. I think it was a failure, and that's why oh seven was a success because they made the playoffs. Yeah, I would say uh the difference is 06 they kind of gave up on the season, right? Mid-season they traded a Bobby Abreu just throwing the towel and the fact that they rallied and very nearly made the playoffs made it, you know, at least gave them a positive way of thinking. I would say this is like 07, like if they hadn't made the playoffs in 07 and and let's not forget it took an epic collapse by the Mets just as much as it took an epic comeback by the Phillies that season would have been considered a failure had they not made the playoffs. And I, and I think that that's a little how I feel about this year. I just, you know, I think I said this a couple of weeks ago that they moved the goalpost for themselves this season when they made the Real Muto trade, whatever day that was, February 7th or 8th, um, right before spring training. Because you don't trade Sixto Sanchez and Jorge Alfaro for a catcher with two years of control if you're not all in this year. So, to me, that was like, okay, enough with the incremental progress, enough with, like, you know, improvement year over year, 
and, you know, you get a little closer, a little closer. Um, I think that when they made that trade, it was like, okay, we're a playoff team, and we're going to operate as such. And they sort of graduated to that level with that trade. And then, of course, to then go and sign Bryce Harper, you've even added on top of that. So, yeah, no, I anything less than winning – I want to say winning the division, but let's say making it to the postseason is is a is a failure for this group. And while it's not like a one year window, I mean their window is going to be longer than that. I think that this year is clearly the first year with the window open to go and make the playoffs. So you're, yeah, I mean whether it's you know ninety wins north of ninety, I mean that's sort of the number they have to hit because anything less than that I think they're going to be on the outside looking in so I'll take back my 2006 comparison and we'll call it 2003 Jim Tomey is Bryce Harper Kevin Millwood's Andrew McCutcheon uh, Gene Segura can be David Bell so you know that team was that team was not a success they, they did not make the playoffs it was a failure and I forgot about the moves in 06 when they they said they would compete for another Pacquiao so what two more years and then they won the division next season a division title would be comparable to 07. A failure would be comparable to 03. So in, until next time, this is Matt Breen, Scott Lauber. You, you can subscribe on iTunes at Extra Innings. Leave us a rating. Like I said last week, five stars or don't even waste your time. If you're leaving anything less, beat it. And you subscribe to our newsletter. We're more than just a podcast. Philly.com slash newsletters for Extra Innings, the newsletter. Scott's got the newsletter all week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And then once this regular season starts on March 28th, it'll be in your inbox 9 a.m. every morning. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. Go leave a five-star rating.